Welcome to the Leadership Podcast series, Small Things Make a Big Difference, where I interview leaders all over the world and discover the lessons they have learned and apply on a regular basis that help themselves, their families, the organizations they work for, and the communities they serve in be a better place. My name is Spencer Holt. I'm married to my best friend, Brittany, have four amazing children, and I have a passion for leadership and learning. I've lived in Canada, the US, and England, and can use all three accents when needed. I love working in countries all over the world, helping teams, organizations, and individuals be better and happier by focusing on small things that make a big difference. As I record this episode, we have a few days in November, and then we head into December. The year is closing out. And it marks the end of my Thanksgiving week. I take I took a week off holiday and it was spectacular. I did very little on my phone. I didn't check email and it was amazing. And in fact, I'm going to start with this quote, be thankful for everything that happens in your life. It's all an experience. That's by Roy T. Bennett. Now, if I were to tell you my holiday, it was, it was awesome. We went to Florida. We got a day in Disney. We got to spend on the beach. It was so great. Now, mind you, just in case you think, oh, what an amazing trip, I want to also give you the other side of it because we drove. And so it was about a 16-hour drive. And let me tell you, we started driving home yesterday. This just gives you just an insight. We did have an amazing trip. We were telling memories and laughing about what we enjoyed. And then I won't mention names, but someone in the back seat, one of my kids was like, I don't feel so good. Like, I'm, I'm kind of burning up. And... My wife and I looked at each other and we thought, I bet he got heat stroke because we were at the beach all day and it was super hot and we probably didn't give him enough fluid. And all of a sudden he's like, dad, you need to pull over quick. And you would, and I thought I pulled over pretty quick. My wife thought she got the bag in time. Yeah, you can picture right now. Let's just say we didn't make it to get outside the car and he didn't make it in the bag and it was everywhere. He had, whatever was inside him, it had come out everywhere. And it was sort of funny. It's funnier now that I tell the story. In the moment, it was, you know, it was dark. It was late at night. We were on the side of the road. And I thought, this is what life is about. You got to take the good with the bad. As you think about work, your family holidays, anyone is, be able to recognize that every experience is going to help you build. Laugh when it is hard. Because a little bit of time, a little bit of humor makes it all work better. It's why I'm excited about this episode. Ido Segal, this inventor, and somebody who shares some experiences along the way of how we can all be a little bit more better as we think about going into 2022. Enjoy. This week on Small Things Make a Big Difference. For the first time ever, we have our a guest, Ido Segal, CEO of TouchCast, dialing in from Tel Aviv, Israel. Ido, welcome. Thank you, Spencer. It's so great to see you. Well, it's good to see you. And tell us, you know, listen, we, we have listeners all over the world, but for someone that's never been to Tel Aviv, Israel, tell us, what is it like right now in Tel Aviv? Well, finally, uh, the heat of summer is starting to subside and uh, everybody is celebrating the Jewish holidays, which is like a full month 
uh, of kids not going to school, which is challenging for parents. Uh, and typically, uh, when you get to Sukkot is when the first rain is going to happen. So hopefully a week from now, we'll get some further uh, relief from the heat and uh, things will continue to move in the right direction. So it's, it's, it's nice as I talk to you from uh, my patio here, I'm enjoying the, I, I was in New York for the last 20 years and uh, as a consequence of COVID, we kind of left Manhattan, which was a pretty challenging place to be with kids during COVID and was a good decision to kind of end up in the suburbs and uh, be in a place where uh, nature is, is rediscovered from, for many of us, I think, as, as we went through this crazy, crazy period together. Wow, I love it. And it's it's amazing as I, I see you and you can hear some of the birds in the background. I love it. It creates a great ambience. And uh, I think maybe I'll, I'm going to join you, uh, bring my bring my family to tell you always welcome. <laughs> we have a room for you. Amazing. Okay, well, we're trust me, um, we're going to do that. And, you know, I am so excited to have you on the show because you are I think in its truest sense, an entrepreneur and somebody that is super smart, but also very forward thinking. And so to give people just a background of who you are and what you've done with TouchCast, give us your story and don't be afraid to talk a little bit about your family, because I think that's always an interesting part of it. So give us who is Ido Segal? Ah, that's challenging to talk about yourself, but I'll oblige uh, so I, I came from a family where my, my dad was an artist, my mom a social worker. So needless to say, we never had money uh, and went through some challenging times. And I've de I developed the need to be entrepreneurial uh, at a young age uh, as a young teenager, kind of with a paper route and uh, selling door to door and getting doors slammed in my face. So um, I think uh, learning a lot about uh, the art of taking no. Uh, which is something I still tell my kids on, about my journey is that if I don't get a few no's every day, I'm probably not doing my job. Uh, it's kind of a core indicator KPI of, of what a successful entrepreneur should be doing. And, and that's from all directions. It's from your clients, it's from your internal teams, it's from your spouse a lot, uh, but you get a lot of no's um, as a DNA. And I, uh, I actually started my first software company when I was a teenager, I made video games. I developed uh, language for uh, AI authoring, uh, which was also distributed, uh, and uh, went on to uh, do the military uh, and uh, art school dropped out, started a string of companies, so, and I've run a lot of companies. I've had three exits, um, been in the AI space for about 30 years now. Uh, two of those were search engines. Uh, the third was a video streaming platform, which is now owned by Vimeo. Um, I also Detoured invented a medical device, which has kind of been on the front line on the fight with COVID. That's really, I'm really proud of that company, Kinsa Health. Uh, as a hobby, I uh, wanted to show my kids how invention works. So I started uh, working with Hasbro and became the inventor of the year for Hasbro for toys, you know, a few years back, just as a, it was fun. Um, wait, wait, can we just, can we just pause there for a minute? Like just casually inventor of the year for Hasbro. Like what did you invent first of all? Um, I in invented a few things with them, but when they give you this award, they say, this is the inventor that made us the most money this year. So it's not, it's not like they say, oh, you're so creative, you're a genius, here's an award. It's like, no, you made us the most money, here's the trophy. Um, and it was effectively, um, at the time, the, the, the most wide-selling connected toy. Uh, if you, you might have recalled, there was a period where everybody was trying to figure out how to connect physical toys to these iPhones and iPads. 
and uh, we created this thing with Angry Birds and Star Wars where you can buy these figurines and place them on the iPad and the toy will actually show in the in the game and it was uh, actually Wired wrote about the physics of it because it was based on optics it was a really simple invention that solved a hard problem uh, and went on to, to do really well um, but an interesting the, the medical device also stemmed out of a technology that I had developed with my team for toys at Hasbro we're looking for low-cost ways to communicate uh, between a physical toy uh, and um, an actual device like an iPhone, and at the time, Bluetooth chips were like six dollars. And when you tell you, when you tell a show a, a, a toy manufacturer six dollars, that's like saying you know three hundred thousand dollars. Like everything is measured in cents. Uh, so we had to come up with a technology to make that much cheaper, which was using sound, which was really interesting and also the subject of some patents. Um, and and then I had this serendipitous discussion with an individual named Nathan Wolf, who had just had a TED talk about the spread of uh, viruses um, through people eating bushmeat in Africa, uh, which he tracked and gave a TED talk about. And so I was interested in epidemiology and I was asking him, what would, what would help us prevent the spread of illness? Like what can technology do to help? And he said, and he thought about it a bit and he said, well, if I only knew when someone had a fever and where they were exactly, that's the lead indicator that will help us kind of create a map. And I thought about that a bit and I said, well, we just created this technology and that led to Kinsa, which is effectively the world's best-selling connected thermometer, which it's kind of like Waze for healthcare, which effectively gathers all this information, kind of a weather map of human health so that you can then use AI to create predictive modeling, which it's it's been doing for years, uh, months ahead of CDC to know when flu is going to spread. And of course, when COVID hit, that data layer became very useful to a lot of agencies in figuring out, you know, where to put beds before, because they, they were the most advanced model and still are. Uh, and that came from a toy because we had to make a thermometer that's very cheap, um, that's not using Bluetooth. And we literally would drop ship hundreds of these into public schools for free uh, and create a community that they demonstrated had a better health outcome with less six days. And that data is recouped. Uh, and helps build this bigger map. So interesting how all kind of these worlds intersect in this, the pattern of innovation, how it comes kind of across industries. Um, and you, you can see that in, in different areas. Uh, I know for, for some reason, Elon Musk is jumping into my mind. And if you see what he's been doing in all these different areas, there's these common patterns of thought that one can apply and, and things are so multidisciplinary, at least for me, it's very gratifying when I have that opportunity. So when I started TouchCast in 2012, the brief to the team was, what's going to happen after video conferencing in 2012? Uh, and the lead vectors of disruption were this amazing compute capabilities, uh, AI really starting to explode, um, and the ability to do these amazing GPU-powered graphics. And that's led us to being the world's top uh, virtual event provider that's kind of been called like the Tesla virtual events, where like we're sitting at home right now, but when it's through our platform, it looks like we're on the stage um, in, in a way that could only accomplish with millions of dollars by Apple when they do their event, if you saw one a few days ago, but that happens as a platform and it's happening uh, for some of the world's uh, biggest companies uh, as we speak. And it's a very gratifying journey. Uh, and there's more about that, but won't bore you with the details, but that's a quick summary, I guess. Uh, I, listen, what that, that's a quick summary of some really, I mean, milestone innovations. And I think what I love about this is 
you're somebody that continues to look for intersections. And I'd love to, I'd love to just dive deeper into that a little bit. Like, so like for you as a CEO and as a leader and someone that's continuing to progress, how do you do that? Like in your own rhythm, like what is it that you do that allows that to occur? It feels like constantly, like you don't like come up with a great idea and then you stop. You're like, okay, I'm done. This is something that is ongoing and maybe in your own DNA. Is there, is there a reason for that or a pattern that you could follow that if we're someone that's listening could say, I want to be more like that. What should they do? Well, I, I would start by saying that I do think it's an illness. And I mean that in a, I don't, I don't mean that as a, I, I'm not tongue in cheek. I do think it's, it's like a form of ADHD. And, um, and for me, I've found a way to make that illness into a strength. Uh, but it also is challenging because when one has that hunger to constantly reinvent and reinvent and reinvent, it makes it harder to build and build sound foundations. So one has to balance that by, you know, effectively creating the right uh, structure around one's engine that helps balance that ability to be uh, the spark plug with the ability to actually need to build a truck around it. You know, so uh, I think it's not trivial. And I, I, I trace it back to, I remember a very young age, it was really important to me. And I don't know, I just remember this conscious thought that I need to constantly change how I do things and not follow routines. And it was very basic things. It was like, I would walk to school on one side of the of the street and I said, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I constantly moved to the next side of the street and walked on the other side of the street. And then the next day I would walk on, you know, on the cobble. Like it was important to me to not fall into repeatable patterns at a very young age and I somehow had that insight and I think that's really a metaphor for so much of the answer to your question is that uh, humans uh, for survival reasons kind of follow if, if a pattern works you don't change it because it means you're not going to be eaten by the lion on the way to the water hole uh, so it's a very fundamental thing um, and I think to break out of that you have to apply a lot of energy to break out of the gravity of that human condition. Uh, I just found it. So when you go to these extremes, uh, we talked about Elon Musk a, a few minutes ago, very extreme personality that's capable of taking on amazing risk, even to the point where, you know, looking at the abyss, I think uh, he was quoting his friend. So I'll quote him quoting his friend that starting a company is like uh, uh, chewing glass while staring into the abyss. That's it's like there's a big constant fear and risk. And so you, you have to be somehow compelled by, by, by that, that when you, when you take a risk, you, you're probably in a place that might lead to a reward, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's always an equation between risk and reward. That doesn't mean that every risk is a good thing. Of course, you can be really stupid and uh, earn a Darwin Award, but uh, I think there's definitely a linear relationship between most really successful outliers and their willingness to take on risk and really look at things with new lenses. and. For young entrepreneurs or people trying to break in, you might be kind of frustrated that there's so much that's already been done. Like, what do I have to contribute? Like, what? Like everything has been done, but in fact, nothing has been done. Like everything could be reinvented. Every single thing, you're, the chair you're sitting on, the couch you're sitting on, the water bottle you're drinking from, literally everything could be reinvented. If you have the ability to pull yourself out of the gravity, um, of the situation and, 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 and learn. And 
we're talking about this really great metaphor that I read recently from a famous poet that he, he tells a story that two fish are streaming down a stream, young fish, and a, a middle-aged uh, fish, such as myself, kind of swims by them and he says to them, oh, enjoy the water, boys. And uh, they say, okay, thanks. And they keep swimming. And then one of the fish looks at the other fish and he says, what's water? Um, I think that's a great metaphor for this notion of how to recognize that even the most obvious things are the ones that are kind of hardest to see, but are always there to potentially be reinvented. And that's a constant theme, I think, and at least in the tech world, and I suspect uh, in others as well, is a, is a good key for, or a starting point for a journey. It, it's such a great, um, today, many organizations, like, you know, through COVID and technology, the business model of the way we did things is being changed. And we're asking or people in organizations to, to build new capabilities and to, you know, to build new different skills. And I think you've just given a good formula of, A, why that's important, potentially how we start to do that, right? Like to force ourselves to try to do differently, walk down the other side of the sidewalk or take a different route to think about, to see how that does. And I, and I just love that. I think the other thing I want to, I want to ask you about, because you have TouchCast, by the way, if you're listening and, and if you haven't ever checked out TouchCast, go to it. It's, um, I use, I, I do a lot of TouchCast videos in my own, both personal and at work because of the way that it, it's just in a really great way to communicate. And I, I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, but you've built this company now. I think you're up to almost, um, you know, 180 people. You've built a company virtual, like you and so I'd love for you to talk to me around your philosophy as you've built TouchCast and how you've done this in a way where you've never met first live some of the people that you're employing. Give me a, give me a little bit of that. Yeah, so maybe a prelude. In 2006, I sold a company to AOL that I had built with an engineering team out of Israel and the business team in New York. Um, and while I was uh, at AOL, it was, and I had this entrepreneurial itch, but I was committed to stick around for a couple of years to hand off the knowledge. I, I challenged myself with how do I create more in shorter spans of time? Uh, because I had spent, I think, around seven years on that company. I said, okay, how many more of these do I have in me? And I wanted to, I felt like I have more to contribute than just following the same formula. And at the same time, uh, this was the emergence of a lot of these uh, workplace exchanges. Uh, at, the, at the time, Odesk was one that was really inspiring. That became Upwork. Uh, but there was Elance and there was something called Get a Coder that was really very, very rudimentary. And I would start just creating these tasks. And the economics were very low, so it was like a few hundred dollars. And I would realize that I can build these incredible things which if I had approached with the more conventional approach of how I've done things before, might've taken me six to 12 months with a very specific structure and a team and just the recruiting of the people would have taken three months. Uh, and I can, if I find a person that's already done something similar, uh, I can actually accomplish that in less than a month with a single or, or two or three people. So it, it kind of refocused my, my, uh, qualifier of success, but trying to look at the results and not on, not on the process, meaning there's a tendency again of confusing the means with the ends, meaning when you build an organization, the, the ends of that organization is to deliver that said product or service. It's not 
meant to service its existence, uh, but it very quickly becomes about the existence, given the political and, and incentive models of, of companies and, you know, being measured by how many people work for you. There's many reasons why uh, things get really large. Uh, also, because you do need to start institutionalizing things in order to, to really achieve scale. Uh, so there's good reasons for that. But for innovation and initial inception, it's a very agile way to just focus on finding the people that have the right skill to solve the said problem. And I also realized just a few months into this, it was very enlightening for me um, that innovation, ingenuity, enterprising spirit, uh, creativity is equally distributed around the world, regardless of who you are, what your education was, uh, what's your color of your skin, what language you, you speak. And I just empirically saw that. It's not a question of subjective analysis. And when you bring opportunity to those areas where the opportunity isn't equally distributed, you the arbitrage of what you get in return is a level of commitment and relationship that I've now built these enduring relationships with people for more than a decade, which have been the most fruitful uh, work relationships I've ever had with the most dedicated and, and uh, brilliant, talented people that I've ever had the privilege of working with. And I've not met most of them. In fact, I've met very few of them. And many of them, I, I'm talking about more of the direct managers. I speak daily. They're, they're, they're like family to me, but I've never physically met them. Um, and uh, they've built entire organizations in their respective areas, uh, recruited people and and we've delivered some unbelievable product together and hopefully made the world you know, a better place by virtue of establishing this kind of quick trust uh, between myself and the belief in, in their ability. And it hasn't always worked. There has been outliers where that trust was misplaced. But for the most part, I would say over 90 percent, uh, myself and, and the companies that I've led have really uh, been rewarded for taking that risk, going back to the risk with the right people because they've built some amazing things in terms of the outcome. So that's something that's hard to um, maybe evangelize or, or give structure to because it um, on this notion that things are changing uh, and the skill sets are constantly changing. Uh, so you may skill people by the point that you're gotten to the point where you can figure out how to skill people, you're operating in uh, part of the value creation that's not at the cutting edge of it because the cutting edge is there's not enough time to even encode that as something you can skill people on. And that's part of the reason that higher education is so challenged in the tech space because they're literally not teaching you what you need if you want to, let's say, work in AI because they haven't had the time to. And by the time they make it into a textbook, the textbook will 80% of it, I don't know what the percentage is, a significant percent will be relevant. So I think a, a contemporary person that's trying to stay in that forefront has to develop the need to constantly uh, be self-taught and be uh, curious. And I think that applies to almost every discipline, not just if you're a programmer, whether you're a marketer or an educator, um, you have to constantly push yourself to not confuse the means with the ends. And figuring out what the ends are is a really important and challenging thing to do in many cases. I, I love this concept of both um, quick trust and to your point, like I think you've done, or it sounds like what you've done is a great job of saying, look, it's going to work 90% of the time, roughly. 
And even though you might, it doesn't work 10% of the time, you're not abandoning the philosophy of quick trust. You are sticking with it. I think what's unique about um, you um, is, you know, is you provide this high intellectual thinking, but you're also very soulful and, and you're very um, humanizing, which I think is a rare, um, a rare mixture of, of two talents. And, and so it's why I've actually um, loved our conversation. And, and unfortunately, um, because small things make a big difference is short uh, and bite-sized. Uh, we, are, we are at the end, but I have two last questions. Um, give us, yeah, I'm, I'm a music junkie. And so I love, you know, you're, you're a fit guy. You, you, you know, you work out, you go for walks. Like what, what's on the playlist when you're working out these days or you're going for a walk or maybe with the, with the family at home, what are you listening to? I'll uh, see that and I'll raise you a playlist. So I will give you a playlist that you Spotify playlist of my greatest songs and you can add it oh, to yeah. the show notes and it's such an amazing thing. Like when I was young, we'd have these CDs, right? And you would have your collection of CDs and you would, as I moved around the world, I would take them with me. It was my, my most treasured possession. And now I can just give you a link and you can give that to all our listeners for free. It's just amazing. So if, if you stuck out throughout this podcast and you're still here, know that you've just received the amazing gift, which is an amazing universe of songs that will really inspire you. Of, of course, like I wouldn't expect anything less from the tech wizard to say, actually, I've got my own Spotify playlist link of my favorite songs. We're going to put it at the, on the show notes here. I love it. And, you know, the, my final question is, like the name of the podcast, Small Things Make a Big Difference, what is one small leadership habit that you do on a consistent basis that makes a big difference for your family, for your company, and the, and the communities that you're impacting? Dude, seriously, one? Like, I, that's the hardest question ever. Well, listen, I ask the hard questions. One thing that jumps to my mind is to lead through example. And by that, I mean my level of investment in what I'm doing um, and my passion for it. Um, maybe that's something I picked up in the military, but I would say trying to lead through example uh, is really an important thing to constantly measure yourself against and of course I, I don't always stack up to what I like to think uh, that I represent in the world but I but I do try and I try to project that to the people that I work with and feel that uh, it really is a critical for me that everybody that I somehow lure into being on this journey with me as a leader is growing and, and benefiting and uh, will leave our journey together uh, a better person than uh, when we met as a consequence. Um, and typically it requires a lot out of them, but I'm, I'm hopeful that they, they would grow on the journey together. Uh, you know, listen, not only do you lead by example, but I think you also are an example of humility for somebody that has accomplished so much. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the show today and continued health, safety, and good fortune in all that you do. Thank you so much, Spencer. And if anybody needs my help, I'm at edo at touchcast.com. So that's E-D-O. I hope you've enjoyed this week's session of Small Things Make a Big Difference. If you're like me, I love just listening to Edo and the many things that he's been able to accomplish, but how his mind works. For me, my biggest takeaway is to recognize 
that although there are so many inventions in the world, still everything can be recreated. And so as you end 2021 and begin 2022, think about what is it that you're going to do in your own personal life and also in the work that you're doing that will help you recreate and to think about what can be different to have a different outcome, to make a small change that will make a big difference in your life, in your team's lives, and also in the place that you work. Share this message. Let me know what you're thinking about doing. Let's create together. Have an amazing week. Thank you.